0: Alex and I are about to get into the connection between Epstein-Barr virus MS and mono, the so-called kissing disease. EBV is one of the most common viruses in the world. While EBV can cause mono and other diseases, most people will not get mono or MS. The Tripping on Air podcast should not be considered medical advice. Always consult your doctor with questions about your health or before kissing any frogs. I'm Ardra Shepherd, and this is Tripping On Air, a place to talk shit about what it's like to have MS. Normally, I like to make everything about me, but MS also affects the people we love. So, weighing in from the partner perspective is Alex Hajar, my friend whose wife also has MS. Join us monthly as we dish about everything from symptoms to stigma. If you have MS or you love someone who does, we want to connect with you. MS is the most common disabling disease affecting young adults. With rates as high as 1 in 300 in some parts of Canada, if you don't already know someone with MS, chances are you will. And yet there is so much confusion as to what the F MS actually is. Today's episode is a cheeky mix of fact and fiction as we take a deep dive into ten of the biggest myths about MS. Yeah, I I was twenty three when I was diagnosed and I didn't know anything about MS.
1: Uh, I uh, when when we found out about uh, Nicole's MS, I mean, I I had been on the periphery. Like I said, I think some people know that my aunt has had it for ages, so I kind of knew a little bit about it, but. And I don't think I reacted any differently than someone who has no idea. I didn't really have any clue. Really? No. I knew... Yeah. Also,
0: I I feel like that is one of the myths. Is like, everyone has an aunt with MS <laughs> who's like, totally cured with kale and diet or totally well, dead.
1: Well, yeah, That's I would never meant. say that because I, you live with it. You live with it growing up anyways, or I did. So like I said, I knew a little bit about it. I knew... Mobility was going to be difficult, but aside from that, um, I was probably fell into all of these things that we're going to talk
0: about. I love it. Okay. Well, myth number one, MS is your fault. Mm-hmm. So that's a myth. It's not true. And I I point it out because when I was first diagnosed, I looked for reasons. Of course, I was like, why me? We are a meaning-seeking species. I think it's a normal question to ask. But what was surprising to me over the years was hearing stories from people who had come up with all kinds of zany, let's say, theories as to why they got MS. And I also did this. So as I said, I was diagnosed when I was 23 and it was right after Halloween and I'd had this like boozy night with my girlfriends. and We had like a book of spells and we were we didn't do anything evil, but I I for a long time felt that um, I had done something like invited some dark arts forces into my life to like it's so it seems so I'm like embarrassed to actually admit this story. It's so crazy. But at the time, I really was like, there had to be like a reason. Did Nicole go through anything like that?
1: Yeah, sorry. I chuckled earlier, but it was I was laughing because I do that thing where you you blame yourself for something when or you think why me when I stub my toe. So it's a, it's from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, I think that that's a normal thing for all of us to do. But yeah, I think one of the biggest things was um you know, we we all grew up uh, partying and stuff like that. So I think um you know, doing recreational drugs was kind of something that we question is like, could that be, you know, it affects your brain and this and that, but I don't think there's any research that actually shows that that's the case. So, um, but it's one of those things where you're kind of doing that. Or I think when, when uh, you're young, you know, uh Nicole told me she did this thing with her friends where they would like try to make each other faint. And so starving yourself of oxygen or something like that, right? So these kind of goofy games that you think are non plus or whatever, um, you're kind of just trying to find any excuse and it's, a, I guess, a matter of placing blame, but it does, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It just happens, right?
0: I guess what I want to say is that it's normal to look for these reasons, but that it's not your fault. And even like, hi, mom, it's also not your fault. You know, <sighs> I think sometimes mm-hmm. our parents can be like, well, like, yeah, you probably you did some other shit for sure, but you didn't give me a mess. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's other trauma. We could talk about that, but not the MS. And Mom, I think also I you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh when uh, when Nicole had her first um uh, episode, let's say for lack of a better word, we when we were in France, um you know, it had just happened after a very stressful work event. So stress was kind of do you you blame the stress as well which i think is normal
0: i think Um, that's normal especially when we have relapses and it's mm. you know i think there's this feeling of like don't let stress get to you you're going to make yourself sick and there's nothing more stressful Mm. than feeling like i have to now control the stress to make not make myself get sick it's a it's a vicious Vicious cycle. I did some research on this, and Pew Research said that 35% of people think that bad stuff happens to them just because, like, that's life shit happens. 13% think it's God's will. 8% think it's because they did something, like, bad or sinful or wrong or that's some kind of punishment. And, like, that's a high number, 8%. Like, I just don't want you to think that MS is your fault. Sometimes bad stuff happens to bitchy people and it's just a coincidence
1: (laughs) you can still be a a dick so you have well you still have a license to do that i think
0: well i think that brings me to myth number two which is everything happens for a reason
1: technically true uh the holocaust happened for a reason you know people are evil yeah evil stuff happens Um, but with MS, I guess, you know, scientific reasons, we're still trying to figure that out. If it's helpful to see it as a growth opportunity, you know, make lemons or make lemonade out of lemons, uh, not the other way around. Uh, cool. But like, I don't think there's any pressure. I mean, if you want to stay a dick, right. It's cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you don't have to necessarily take this diagnosis and, and, and learn something from it or become a better person or whatever. I think. I don't know. A lot of us do. I think I probably did. But you don't have to. Are we articulating this at all right? I think the point I really want to make is that when somebody else says this to me, it can feel like toxic positivity. Like, yeah, everything happens for a reason. I feel like it's kind of like kind of okay if if you say it to yourself, Mm. but not if somebody else says it to you. It's like for you to decide.
1: But I think that, yeah, and that goes for almost a, a lot of things, uh, almost anything. But yeah, don't tell me how I should feel about this um, thing that's happening to me. I'll, I can be that judge for myself, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: So I think is, we'll go to myth three, right? Okay, uh,
0: sure. Fact or fiction.
1: It, is MS contagious?
0: I wish Then I could give it to my enemies. <laughs> What Just a power kidding. that would be! No, I don't have any. I don't have any enemies. Uh, don't send any letters if you think you're my enemy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they won't you get know, opened.
0: You know what? When I was diagnosed, I when I was sick, when I first went home, and um, or when I was first diagnosed, I went to stay with my parents for a time uh, to get better. And my brother was a teenager still; he was still at home, and my mom gave me his room and mm, yeah i know he told her he didn't say anything to me to his credit he was a teenager but he was worried that it was contagious that i would like leave oh, something right. on the sheets or something so um <laughs> okay. it's not contagious but in i was diagnosed in 2001 in 2002 there was some sketchy kind of study that came out uh, suggesting that MS was sexually transmitted, and that um, so I, I feel like I the can't media, imagine that was
1: good for your sex life. It was
0: not. It was not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I feel like I would that would interrupt things. But I think you know more recently I've read things that have said that Epstein Barr virus is associated with MS, and Epstein Barr virus is kind of it's mono. It's a kissing disease. Like, isn't doesn't that make it contagious?
0: Well. Yes, that I mean, it's actually pretty exciting research. And it's not that new, but it is becoming more and more accepted that there is a link between uh, exposure to the Epstein-Barr virus as a precursor to MS. But um, most people are exposed to Epstein-Barr and most people don't get MS. But if you have MS, you have almost certainly been exposed to Epstein Barr, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's isn't it kind of like uh, not everybody who's had Epstein Barr has MS, but if you but everybody who has MS has Epstein Barr, does that make sense? I, I think mean, I just said yeah. the exact same thing you just said. I
0: think it makes sense to me, <laughs> um, but I think it's also compelling reason to support research that looks into vaccines for Epstein Barr. And antiviral Mm. therapies that might help MS, but it's not a reason to stop, you know, kissing frogs and, uh, (laughs) right? right? Yeah. Like, we Mm. don't want you to be afraid of, of course, like, wash your hands. Don't like expose yourself unnecessarily to germs. But um, if you have MS, you're not going to pass it on to anybody. Uh, I feel like, like, we could be um, creating fear here where there shouldn't be any doubt. it's not ms is not contagious
1: number four is you can only get one disease at a time
0: this is a myth that i totally made up myself right, okay. for my own benefits <laughs> I so just why think, did you make up this myth because i spend enough time in doctor's offices like i don't want to get a mammogram or a colonoscopy or whatever right like i feel like I already like won the disease lottery. Like what are the chances I'm going to have two major things wrong with me? So that's, um, yeah, it's like, like lightning only strikes once or whatever.
1: Right. But it's I think like, uh, yeah, I mean the whole thing now is I, I see the word comorbidities a lot more these days. So I that's feel like a that's-
0: nasty word, right?
1: It sounds, I I think it sounds awful, but it's worth mentioning because, uh, yeah, for awareness purposes, right? Like there's no chance that you can only get one thing at a time. Plenty of people deal with multitudes of uh, uh, illnesses or or whatever, right? So, um, but is it less likely to be believed?
0: Well, I think even before we we talk about that, I think Mm. the reality is that actually if you have one autoimmune disease, which MS is considered an autoimmune disease, you are actually more likely to have more than one um, autoimmune disease. So MS itself comes with any number of comorbidities. I've said this before that having MS can feel like having a bunch of different conditions because, you know, vision loss feels like a completely different illness than, um uh problems with mobility or sensory problems you know something. what i mean yeah yeah but when we talk about having like a completely other autoimmune disease the numbers are are pretty high it's like up to 30% of people with ms will have another autoimmune disease so
1: going back to i guess my previous question is this sort of uh, myth less likely to be believed
0: so i think people with complex illnesses. So with lots of stuff going on, I think can be dismissed as having psychiatric issues or stress or anxiety and there is a lot of medical gaslighting that does go on. Um
1: And this is from doctors and like people who surround you, you know, friends and family and yeah, stuff like that. I mean that.
0: I mean I'm speaking anecdotally and you know not mm. necessarily scientifically, but I think if you can look up and see uh, especially women who are not uh, as likely to believe be believed and i think autoimmune conditions can also have vague symptoms they can be hard to diagnose sometimes um doctors if they don't know the answer are not comfortable in meeting them yeah
1: the, the, yeah they might write it off right i think like it's worth making sure or ensuring that you're seeing doctors that have empathy that will listen and to me personally you know will admit when they don't know uh something and that they'll go and learn it and that they're doing that sort of for you maybe that's a You know, hopefully that's not a pie in the sky wish, but I mean, it's very cool to have doctors who do that uh, over, oh, you're just stressed or you're just (laughs) experiencing this or something like that, right? Just
0: anxiety, yeah. yeah. Well, I think there are so many doctors out there that do take that approach. So if you're not, if that's not your experience, you have, you just have to keep looking, right? Because you're the expert in your body. You're the one that knows when something isn't cool, when something just isn't right.
1: Fair enough. All right. Uh, Myth number six, not everyone ends up in a wheelchair.
0: Uh, Alex, I feel like I talk about how much I hate this phrase in every episode of the podcast, (laughs) but it's so pervasive. And I keep hearing people say it. So I'm just going to keep saying it because the myth here is that number one, wheelchair use is not the end. And the second part of that myth is that wheelchairs are the enemy. So if you have to say this, can you maybe just please reword it so that it sounds more like not everyone will with MS will have difficulty walking? Or even if you need to be like more blunt about it, uh, not everyone will lose the ability to walk. Like that's a more accurate statement. And if you feel like the words are just trying to come out of your <laughs> mouth, like take a beat to think about how that statement makes somebody who is already a wheelchair user feel
1: right yeah it's an intense thing to say and I I tend to like give my opinions really quickly and that's like a history of doing that. But I definitely check myself a lot more often now uh, because you don't want to barf out something super harmful to somebody. And it's not the end of the world. And I've, I mean, I've read again, more anecdotes, but I've read stories of uh, people with uh, people with MS who um, they go running, they go running. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And they're in their fifties or they do like two miles a day or something. And I'm like, that honestly
0: is... i didn't run even when i could like unless somebody's chasing me i don't right. miss running
1: but i mean so but there are examples of that doing it right Of so people doing yeah. that and not having yeah. um you know mobility hurdles uh, at some point so but the phrase itself is kind of toxic in and of itself right because you're sort of creating this um i guess uh, idea that this is an inevitability you definitely will end up there and that isn't the case
0: i i think more than that it's not comforting i think that doctors say it or other people say it patients say it to themselves or to other people in a way to be comforting but to me it's actually more of a manifestation of fear i never walk around saying you know what um most pedestrians don't get hit by buses and die. (laughs) Like, I'm going for a walk, and I'm going to be okay because most pedestrians don't get hit by buses. It's like, I don't think about the murder bus because I take for granted that I'm not going to get hit by that bus. And so if you're really not worried about losing the ability to walk – then this sentence isn't even on your radar. And I think by saying it and reinforcing it, it's reinforcing a fear more than it is providing comfort. And it's setting you or anyone else up for frustration and heartbreak if you do eventually encounter a wheelchair because you've made it the scary thing and not sort of, like what it means to need a wheelchair, right? Like it's that loss of independence, that loss of mobility. Anyway, I feel like it's just words, but words do matter. And they do leave an impact on what you tell yourself. But everything we think now seems to be so public and there are ramifications for other people. And I personally find it really hurtful when I hear other people say that because, um, you know, I, I'm not a full time wheelchair user, but I do use mobility aids in a wheelchair from time to time. I can kind of see what's in my future. And um, I don't want to feel like the outlier and and like the failure and, and 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 all of those gross things.
1: Yeah. So bottom line, stop doing it. Stop doing it. <laughs> or, or or just think about your words a little bit more and, and try to be better. But um, yeah, I think moving on to myth number seven. If you don't have, if you don't have symptoms, then MS is under control.
0: This is and such I, a tough one.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's because a lot of you know it could be invisible, right? Things are going on, and they're like invisibly behind the scenes causing shit, which isn't fun. Um, so, uh, I mean, is a um, smoldering MS something we can mention here? Is that I feel like that's a background thing that might be going on. Or is that too new?
0: I think this is like a very high level and complicated discussion. And I think, mm, you okay. know, to me, this myth is maybe more directed at so-called benign MS. So, you know, you can't really say that MS is benign until like that's, that's something you can only say like after many, many years of not having... Had too much disease activity, right? But um, MS is so unpredictable and you can have a relapse at any time. And what's scary about that is that, you know, it could be mild or it could be severe, but you can't undo that damage necessarily once it's happened and so
1: sorry i was just i just wanted to kind of ask like what what can people do then to dispel this myth can people actively do something if they are thinking that this is the case
0: i mean this is my own bias feeling that early intervention is critical i do believe that uh, medication is is something really important to consider of course there are lifestyle factors, diet, exercise. Like you have to take your health seriously and control the risk factors that you can. So we know that um, early intervention with highly effective medication is is helpful. We also know that um, there are lifestyle factors that influence outcomes too. And you know that's hard. I think sometimes for people to to grapple with also smoking and obesity are are modifiable risk factors. So I think it's you don't necessarily want to just be complacent with your MS because you're not having debilitating attacks like you could be having lesions in parts of your your brain that don't cause symptoms and that that can accumulate and that's another reason why you need to get regular MRIs whether you feel like your MS is is acting up or not if that makes sense
1: mm-hmm. no it's uh yeah if you i guess if you're waiting and seeing what happens it you're kind of that's the big risk right so um
0: wait and see is like a really risky proposition i yeah. don't like it <laughs> i
1: i uh, find like old boomers do that uh they're just like ah, i feel sick kind of but i'm not gonna do anything about it and that's terrible that's when you should be going to the doctor right um
0: that's like a whole nother story but okay so before we get on to the next one i have a question did nicole have symptoms like did she feel like she'd had like looking back did it seem like she'd had ms for a lot longer than when she was diagnosed
1: so yeah i mean when the diagnosis came and we kind of processed it i think there was a moment where we're like oh those other things kind of make sense now um, you know, whether I think maybe there was some balanced stuff and, um, there were some, uh, internal issues that, that, sh- that had come up and, and we thought we solved them obviously. And then the, the kicker was the, um, optical neuritis, right. That, when that started happening in France, that was the real first event, uh, that, that got the diagnosis underway kind of thing. But yeah, it was after that, like I said, and you kind of are thinking like, oh, this is happening, but we didn't, we did go to the doctor for the other stuff, uh, but the MS just never came up. It was never a thing that the doctors were like, it might be this. It wasn't until the optic neuritis in the time in, in France that um, the doctors there took that they kind of recognized that that might be the case. Um,
0: That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that feels like a bit of a non sequitur, but uh, it it sort of leads into the next uh, myth.
1: I, yeah. I, you know what I I will say that once we did get the diagnosis and and again process it and everything like that like we are now much more diligent about if something happens then we go then we consult the doctor if something happens we consult whoever we need to consult um who has that information And you
0: you say we do you mean do you mean um specifically with Nicole's health or are you more likely to take like some weird symptom more seriously with your own uh, health also
1: yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I come from a technical background, so I'm very much uh, trusting of, of professional uh, medical professionals, and we have a very good family doctor, thankfully. So, I trust. You know, I, I have trust in the system, and and when something does come up, then I will go get it checked—blood pressure or, um, or or you know. Uh, panic attacks or anxiety or something like that. Anything that kind of comes up, I'll just, I'll consult them anyways. It's always, there's no harm in asking. So, um, even if it's a small thing, it's worth the 15 minute call or whatever it takes to do it. So, um, yeah, that's my advice for whatever it's worth. But,
0: so that's good. You're not like me with the like, I can't get for I can't get any have any more things wrong with me. Time
1: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I need to be at the top of my game too, right? I need to be up there uh, to be doing stuff and things, right? I just don't want to take the risk. I'm risk averse. That's the name of the game. Um, risk, risk. Myth number seven. MS is an old person's disease. I don't think that's the case.
0: So this It's not. Yeah. I think if you have MS, you probably already know that most people are diagnosed between 20 and 40. You can really kind of get diagnosed at any age, but I sometimes think people who are much older may have had like symptoms for a long time and just gone undiagnosed for many years. That's possible. Um, I don't know. When I was doing some research for this episode, I knew that pediatric MS was a thing. I was surprised to learn that it's 3 to 5% of MS cases are under age 16. But what really surprised me was learning that all pediatric MS cases start as relapsing. Oh, there's day. no
1: cases that start primary or secondary progressive or anything like that. Interesting. Yeah,
0: just like fun I feel fact, like 3
1: to 5% is not insignificant either like that seems <laughs> no, uh, yeah that seems kind of yeah. high to be fair so that's a little bit worrying but it, so I when I was younger I knew a cousin who had a kid who had mono I just remember that cuz it was it was like one of the only people that had it so Epstein bar I guess um it, is that an indication I'm just thinking out loud really but is that an indication that that that, that might bring on MS even at that age they were like not old they were like three four years old so
0: no like no. Busted. i I don't know that's like way too sciencey <laughs> yeah. and i don't want to get uh in like in over my head of <laughs> saying yeah. shit i'm unqualified to say <laughs> but i i mean most people are exposed to epstein-barr virus and it can lead to other shit too so um but yeah no i think Pediatric cases do seem to be increasing, but diagnostics are also better. Um, and I, I don't know. I think maybe in the past, um, you know, a, a kid could have presented with symptoms that might not have been on a doctor's radar thinking, you know, this isn't a, a disease that kids get. But, uh, of course, it is possible. But I think also, again, early intervention, and um, it's good ish news, I guess, that um, children aren't presenting with primary progressive MS, right? Like relapsing remitting is much more modifiable and there are more interventions. So I would think the prognosis would be generally better.
1: So the next myth that uh, we'll talk about, which I I can't even believe this is a myth, to be honest, but uh, that MS does not cause Pain. If
0: you have MS, you already know that this is total bullshit. But for a long time, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I think even I think even when I was diagnosed, I was told that MS doesn't cause pain, which is ludicrous. MS can cause pain from spasticity, muscular, skeletal pain from lack of movement, uh, ner- neuropathic pain, which is the hardest to treat, um you know and then pain from for me like walking into shit and um falling down and oh my god emotional pain like yeah
1: yeah i was gonna say there's physical pain but there's also emotional pain right there's regrets and uh, maybe not regrets but like things you, you know wish you didn't have to stop doing because of the pain or, yeah, like or anxiety
0: other, depression uh, that is all pain but but yeah the unrelenting nature of neuropathic pain is yeah it's stunning to me that anyone was ever told that ms doesn't cause pain it is a painful disease
1: i can't argue with this i i know because obviously i i I live with it and i see it in real time uh and uh, sometimes it's like surprise pain like we're just watching a movie and like you know, boo, pain's here. And, uh, and just like there's pain and you have to massage. And, you know, there's a lot of th- treatments that we try to do, but the pain is per- pervasive and it's there. So I don't think there's any argument with this myth. It's total crap. Um, you will experience it, unfortunately. So don't believe anybody who tells you you won't.
0: I think maybe it's one of those myths born out of like, you look so good. Like, you know, it's uh, like it's the right. young person's, you're not bleeding. Um, and, mm. you know, so you, it's harder to see. Maybe that's what makes it harder to believe. I don't know. It's real and I don't like it.
1: Yeah, fair enough. All right, I think, uh, I, you know, I've been saying all these myths. I think this, uh, this, uh, this is the last one, right? This is like this is actually a super cool one. So I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it to you because this is cool.
0: Myth number ten is that people with MS are descended from Vikings, and this one might actually be true. I'm not going to challenge it because it's kind of <laughs> badass and I like it.
1: So where does this myth come from?
0: I mean. Uh, Yeah, there are some very old studies, and I don't know if anyone is still actually looking into this, but Vikings may have passed around a genetic susceptibility when they settled, plundered, you know, uh, British Isles, Scandinavia, Canada, the U.S., all these hot spots where where MS lives. So um, I did some research also. There is a Norse word for the distance a reindeer can travel before it has to peak
1: and if you know ms then you know what this means and
0: yeah that yeah, that distance for reindeer is 7 kilometers and uh i yeah i feel seen by the <laughs> the viking reindeer like they it was like that important that they had to come up with a word for it the word is i'm not going to pronounce this right poronkusuma yeah i'm going to butcher it but i think it's
1: Porunkusuma. that's what i'll say
0: I feel like I need uh, that kind of word for l- the distance in the car that I can go between rest stops. Like that's that's a very MSE kind of word to have.
1: Yeah, there should be a gauge on your car that just says Paruncasuma limit.
0: Totally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh,
1: so what? Do you have a Viking name? Then do you I get do. a Viking name if you have I if you have MS?
0: I went on Buzzfeed, of course, right. the <laughs> sorts of, of like everything, and my my Viking name is. I, I'm also I'm not going to pronounce this Hur, horror. It's it's. I feel like it's pronounced like a scream. It's H R O with the accent A R R. Do they call it agu in Norse? No, probably not. That's French, I don't know. But I don't yeah, know. whatever. It feels kind of badass. I feel like that's cool. It's a good origin story.
1: Yeah. So that's I think that's all the myths, right?
0: I mean, that's all we're going to talk about today because there's so much. Come on, there's so much confusion. We're just like scratching the iceberg of uh, demystifying some of this, maybe even in the process creating some more random rumors. <laughs> There's I don't just know. Just listeners
1: with like I have more questions now and uh,
0: Exactly. But exactly.
1: Hopefully we've cleared up some of the more prevalent MS uh, myths for you today. Yeah. Um yeah, but I I think we have one
0: we do. One more. Yeah. We do have one more myth. It's a pretty massive one to cover, and we really do need a full episode to unpack it. So tune in next month when we will help sort out fact from fiction. We have a very special guest coming for that episode. And um, yeah, if you think you know what that one last myth that we're going to tackle is drop it in the comments i would love to know uh not just like what myths you think we maybe missed but also if you have some crazy story theory as to why you thought you got ms like um uh, recreational drugs or witchcraft in my case (laughs) uh drop that in the comments too because i think it it can be entertaining but it can also help people realize that like you're not the only one to like let your mind go to these strange and fascinating places so thanks for tuning in trippers if you like this episode subscribe like share do all the things and we will see you next time Thanks for listening to Tripping on Air. Don't forget to visit us at trippingonair.com.
1: Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm
0: Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.